Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we will be treated to part three of an interview with Kim Pierce, resident director of Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, presented at Arts Centre Melbourne with Melbourne Theatre Company as part of the 2018 VCAA Theatre Studies Unit 3 playlist. This is part three of the interview. If you haven't yet listened to part one or part two, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. How is the actor-audience relationship manipulated? Marianne always uh, directs her plays with the audience at the centre of them. So she is always concerned that they are being carried on the journey um, and that each kind of moment of new information is being presented in a way that's going to kind of keep their understanding of the play evolving and moving forward. Um, I remember when we, so when we went from the West End version to the touring version, we had to change a big component of the show because we can't tour the same amount of hydraulic equipment for moving the set in the in the West End there are more moving pieces of the set and the touring presentation is a lot simpler um and it was a bit where Christopher jumps down into the tube tracks in the West End uh that was a trap in the floor of the set that opened up and he literally did jump down and the thing Marianne arrived at for the touring version in in cahoots with her creative team is that Christopher is picked up by the ensemble and flown across the stage and deposited downstage on the very edge of the stage. Meanwhile, as he's lifted up, the video world of the play breaks down um, and reform. And I remember Marianne talking about it being like a camera angle changing. So we're seeing Christopher from one camera angle and then when he's deposited, we're seeing him from another camera angle. And he, she's sitting in the auditorium imagining how the audience was going to follow that experience. So I think rather than um, manipulate it, which, which accidentally has a slightly kind of derogatory tone to it, the audience are kind of certainly guided and led through their experience of the play. Um, on the other hand, you know, um, for example, sound is used to a definite emotional effect in the play. So right from the opening moments of the play, we're using uh, lower tones in the sound design to an extent that, you know, the audience's rib cage is rattling. And that is definitely on purpose to bring the audience into Christopher's world in a in a visceral rather than cerebral way. Um, simultaneously, sort of in uh, sort of a very emotional scene, like when Christopher is talking about his mother on Polpero Beach. Uh, it, you know, he's bringing a memory to the surface of his mother who's been dead for two years and someone that he has grieved for and still misses. But because he's Christopher and because he processes his thoughts and emotions in a certain way, 
he's being very factual in his delivery of that, the actor playing Christopher, is containing the emotion and then focusing more on Christopher's enjoyment of his eidetic memory um, and the way he enjoys telling Siobhan that he remembers very specific details about this experience with his mother. Um, and one of the reasons why we have to say it's so factual in the acting world of that scene is because Adrian Sutton's music is very emotional underneath that. It still conforms to Christopher's worldview. There's still a, a formal discipline within the music that keeps it precise um, like Christopher, but the tone of it and the lyricism of it is very, very moving. And, you know, Paulie Constable's lighting design reflects that. So she bathes the scene in a very beautiful blue shade of light that's very intense because she's not only uh, relying on lights from outside the set, but the set itself has the capacity to turn blue. Um, Cooley's quite famous now for using uh, you know, strong chromatic tones of colour in her lighting designs to create an emotional resonance in the audience. I think you can see that in the, her design for her later plays like uh, Heisenberg, for example, which is uh, a, another um, is another Simon Stevens play. Um, and so what what the design world is doing there is creating the emo emotion in the audience for Christopher so that we understand that despite the way he talks about things, he still feels things very intensely. Um, and that's a very important job for the design to be doing, to be constantly reminding uh, the audience of the depth of Christopher's kind of existence. Do the actors manipulate the actor-audience relationship? I think the actors in Curious Instant have a very kind of honest and truthful relationship with the audience. Um, right from the beginning, you know, Siobhan is, so Siobhan could be called the narrator of Curious Instant, but she isn't the narrator because the narrator implies somebody who is standing outside the action and kind of knows what's going to happen next. To an extent, you can define a narrator that way. Um, but what we say she is, is, She's reading the book that Christopher wrote for the very first time. And uh, the audience are almost like the pupils in her classroom that she's reading the story to. Um, in a, as much as they might be people who've come to see the school play adaptation of his book. Uh, which means that the actor has to work very hard to recreate every night that sense of surprise and engagement so the audience feel that their surprise and engagement is happening at the same time as hers but obviously there's a slight slight of hand there because she, the actress playing Siobhan is also leading the audience into the story in a way that prepares them to be open and engaged the whole way through um, and I think that's a very important part of Curious Instant is to know beat by beat what we are trying to do for the audience and achieving that. Do the actors break the fourth wall in this piece? Well, there is no fourth wall in as much as there's no uh, literal set. 
So normally a 4-4 is a term from, uh, you know, Stanislavski and Chekhovian era realism, where the set on stage is so realistic that the audience is encouraged to imagine it continues in front of them, separating the action on stage from the audience. Um, well, that just can't happen in Curious Instrument because what we're looking at really is an environment that's Christopher's brain. And in a way, the auditorium is a continuation of Christopher's brain. So in, um, in, those, in those moments, like when he's uh, thinking about his mother or he's thinking about the very stressful moment that the police officer found him in the garden holding uh, Wellington's body in his arms, those characters actually come from the audience. His mother strolls through the audience like a ghost, the policeman barges his way down the aisle onto stage and sometimes the audience think the police are actually coming in to interrupt the show which is quite fun um uh so immediately the idea of the barrier between the stage space and the audience space is deconstructed so terms like fourth wall or direct address no longer apply um because direct address uh implies a division between the stage and the audience and that the director is uh, and the actor is uh, making that connection across the division whereas the play from the very beginning is trying to create a sense of unity between stage and audience um, I, I, I think it's I think what Curious Instant does is it's very playful with those terms like direct dress or football and very playful with the way it's deployed and that comes again like everything else in the play from Christopher Boone's way of being because Christopher doesn't like theatre he says that acting is a kind of lie because you're pretending something is real when it's not really real at all um, and so but it's his play and there's even a moment in act two where Christopher stops the play and redirects it uh, and so Christopher doesn't really care about the rules of theatre because they're not very important rules because they don't really govern the, the universe. It's just that some human beings made them up to kind of say this is what theatre's like. The only rules that are important for theatre, uh, for, for Christopher, the only rules that are important for Christopher are the physical laws of the universe, like the, the rules of thermodynamics. So... Um, I think those ideas like direct address are very playfully introduced and then thrown away. So, for example, there's a tiny, tiny little beat at the very top of Act Two where Christopher comes on stage and it's not quite as orderly as he thinks it should be. So he uh, makes sure all the boxes are straight and he makes some of the ensemble members sit straight and he picks up a piece of chalk and points at an audience member and goes, did you leave this here? So immediately the audience is involved in that story. And that's because Christopher doesn't really know uh, whether or not an audience member would be responsible for leaving uh, a piece of chalk on stage. And that kind of little moment bleeds right through to the very end of the play where Christopher comes on and he uses all the technology in the theatre to answer his exam question. Um, and in some versions of that, not in the version we tour, but in some versions of that, when the stage manager, the DSM, who operates the show, is sitting out in the auditorium. He also mentions uh, the DSM who's operating the show um, by name um, and, and says, all oh, this technology is going to be operated by the DSM. 
Uh, and normally the DSM is somebody who shouldn't exist in his, you know, they're, they're backstage. But again, Christopher doesn't really care about the rules of theatre. And it would be obvious to him that the most important person in theatre isn't the actor, but is the uh, deputy stage manager, because they've got control of all the buttons and all the electricity and all the technology. So, of course, he'd mention them by name. Um, so you, perhaps your students can talk about how the rules and conventions of theatre are playfully picked up and then discarded by Christopher Boone in his play, because that's certainly how we arrived at what we have on stage today. Thank you so much for your time, Kim Pierce. Thank you, you too. That is the end of part three of our interview with Kim Pierce. Curious Incident played in Melbourne until mid-February 2018, but for more information, you may wish to view the resources at National Theatre Discover on YouTube. You can find lots of information about the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime and many other wonderful videos provided by National Theatre. That is all from us at The Aside. Thanks to Aaron Searle for providing the music and Eltham College for letting us record here. There's a range of episodes in the bank, so feel free to listen to one that grabs your attention. Do not hesitate to email us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Send us a question and we can answer it in a future podcast. Thanks for listening.